Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Hi, just a reminder, we're doing these talks live on Zoom every week. So if you'd like to be part of it as it goes on, and there are questions and answers at the end, you can ask a question if you like. Uh, we'd love to have you and become part of the community. Just subscribe at Torah on iTunes.com. Okay. I'm glad you're here. Uh, so much to discuss. We, we have the, the enormous privilege of, of, of living with our, our holy fathers and mothers, uh, these weeks. And, and so I, I just want to, uh, talk about Abraham. Abraham has in, in, in this week's parsha has, you know, Probably the, the the greatest test ever given to anyone, which is which is the Akeda, to take his his only child and and to to offer him up on uh, on the altar, and you know it's I, I use those words very carefully because it never says if you actually look in the parsha itself, God never tells Abraham to sacrifice his son. Um, the nature of the test was that God understood. That that's what Abraham was 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 thinking was being asked. So let me just make that clear. If if you look in the text itself, God never asks Abraham to kill Isaac. Never, never. However, the nature of the test was God knew that's what Abraham was thinking. Okay. Now that seems like a small detail. Like what? Why would that be meaningful? Um, Aren't they the same thing? if that's what Abraham thought the test was? Well, actually, theologically, there's a giant difference. Because if you say that God um, told Abraham to sacrifice Yitzchak and then tells him not to, then that suggests that God changed his mind. And so it's not really that that's we we really don't say that God changes his mind. Um. And that, that opens up giant questions, um, meaning to say that, that God, wants to, God wants to bring us to a certain place, all of us in all of our lives. And he can do it many different ways. And it really depends on us. So, you know, there's, I always kind of flash on this bit of imagery, um, those of you who lived at some point in Los Angeles, maybe this will be meaning for you. The rest of you just sort of imagine this. There's this big hill connecting uh, Los Angeles to what we call the valley, the San Fernando Valley. And you kind of drive up the hill and then down the hill, and the whole thing takes you about 20 minutes. And off the side of the main road, there's like, over the course of the hill, there's probably, there's dozens and dozens of these side roads that branch off the main road. And... I always, I always think about that because there's so many different ways to get to a place. And, you know, in, in cop shows, cop shows are famous. It's kind of like a cliche, like at some, at some point during the episode, um, one of the officers will, will tell the, the accused, we can do this the hard way or we can do this the easy way. And I, to me, I always flash on this in, in terms of just the, the way God leads us in, in, in our own lives, which is, which is that there are many, many ways to get to the place that God wants to bring us to. Um, our soul fixing, right? That's what we're talking about, fixing our soul. And, and of course, we're talking about each of us has a, a different, crucial, unique way that, that we contribute to the fixing of the entire world. So, so getting to the whole fixing of the world, there's so many different ways of getting there. And, and sometimes we have to be motivated to do the right thing through personal hardship. And sometimes that's not necessary at all. Sometimes we're just rolling, so to speak. You know, we're doing really, really well. And, and, and just it can come through just increased opportunity, right? Like, let's say we have to make, a, I'm just making up this example, but let's say we have to make a connection with someone. Well, I'll tell you, I'll give you a better example, because I had this question. Someone told me this story one time. 
that they that the person in the story had had broken their leg and then um, they were in the hospital and then someone was coming to visit someone else, but I don't know what it is. They ended up stopping in their room and they met and they got married, right? And and they told this as like the most wonderful story. And, and you know, I was, I was like a really bad audience for this story because <laughs> I asked the person, I said, why did the person have to break their leg to meet that person, right? I mean, it, it, they could have met them at, you know, Starbucks or something like that. So, so there's so many different ways things can happen. Even the same thing, the same soul fixing. There's so many different ways that it can happen. And, um, and so much of that depends on where we're at, like what level we're, we're holding on. Like what is the nature of our prayers? What is the nature, nature of, of, of the, the avodah that we're doing, the mitzvahs that we're doing? And, um, you know, sometimes what, what we think is bad is actually very good. So, so, so like last week, I told this story about how um, I stepped on a scorpion fish, which is like absolutely one of the most poisonous animals in the world. It's, it's, they say that the, the venom is as strong as a cobra bite. And, you know, it was going up the side of my body. The doctor was afraid I was going to die. Really, you know, you can listen to the talk. Um, but, um, but there is something amazing that the rabbis talk about, just the the, you know, how, how suffering, you know, it's a, it's a very intense word, or pain, let's say, how pain can, can just cleanse your soul of, of, of like all sorts of, you know, problematic things. So, so sometimes, sometimes we experience something, it's a, we, we feel like it's a hardship, but, but it's absolutely doing the best thing for us. Um, other times we can get to a place much faster if we're holding on a higher level, like there's so many different ways that we can get to a certain place. So with that in mind, I want to just tell you something that, that, that I think is really interesting. We get to the Akeda. So, so again, it's like God doesn't change his mind. He never told, Yitz, he never told Avraham that, to kill Yitzchak. So it's just there are different ways of getting to that place. God wanted to see, does, does, does Avraham, is Avraham attached to God on the level that's beyond, 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 beyond? And, um, and Avraham showed that he was absolute beyond, 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 in terms of his attachment to Hashem. And, um, and that that that's that's kind of what was going on with that. Um, but but what I want to tell you is the following: If you look at the language of the Torah as Avraham is is embarking toward you know the the binding of Yitzchak, right? It uses these famous words. It says lech lecha. Now that's striking because everybody knows that you know last week's parsha was called lech lecha. And that was one of the first tests, or maybe the first test that that Avraham was given to sort of like pick up his an entire his entire encampment and to head to this place, which um, which was Israel, but it doesn't say head to Israel. It, it's it's it, that was actually part of the test itself, and that's all of our lives too. Listen, listen to the language. God says, "Go to the place." Now remember. Abraham is uprooting his life, uprooting all the people who have gathered around him all their lives. And God says, go to the place that I will show you. Which is, which is very intense because God didn't even tell him where to go. We just assume because we know after the fact that, that Abraham was headed to Israel. But, but in the moment, Abraham didn't know. So think about Think about yourself. Think about all of us. We we don't know where we're going. <laughs> we don't know where we're going in our lives. And God says, go to the place that I will show you. Amazing. It's amazing. Um, so, so you see that same language by the Akeda also. 
And and now listen to this. I, I, I just saw this from Reb Shlomo. He said in the name of the Rebbe Yisachar Dov, um, I, I have a... I have a picture of 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 a Yisachar Dov, and I think this is, I think this is who um, Reb Shlomo is quoting. I, I I found it in my house, and um, and I was just so drawn to it that I I put it on my desk, and it's been on my desk for the last several months. Just this old picture. Do you see how it's it's cracked? It's almost. It looks it looks really old. That's Yisachar Dov. He was the he was the Belzer Rebbe, and um, the father of the Belzer Rebbe that escaped the Germans in World War II. And so this Torah is from him. So Reb Shlomo says in the name of the rabbis that, that after you do something like for God, you know, you're kind of flying, you know, you, it's like it's, you're on a high. That's the first day. The second day you cool off. The third day, you're wondering, should I have done it at all? Isn't that something? So, at the beginning of this week's Parsha, Hashem came to Avraham on the third day of his bris. Now, remember the details of this bris. Avraham gets this bris at age 99, and he performs it on himself. And... Rashi brings that the third day after that procedure is the most painful day in terms of recovery. So Reb Yisachar Dov says that Hashem came to Avraham on the third day. You ready for this? Hashem came to Avraham on the third day to give strength to every person for all time that on the third day, after we do something for Hashem, that we shouldn't regret that we did something for Hashem. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? that, that that's an awesome thought. Let me, let me just say it again, just in case you missed it. On the first day that you do something for God, you're flying. The second day, you cool off a little bit. The third day, a lot of people wonder, should I have ever have done it at all? So Hashem comes to Avraham after he does the bris on the third day in order that Hashem should give strength to people for all time that on the third day they shouldn't regret what they did for Hashem. That's amazing. An amazing Torah. Okay. So now let's get back to the repetition of this word lechacha. So you see lechacha, God says, Go to the place that I will show you and, and doesn't tell Abraham where he's going. Now, you want to hear something? A lot of people aren't aware of this detail, but it's right, it's right in the Torah if you look at it. God tells Abraham to, to put um, Yitzchak on the altar, right? That, that's what he says. Don't, he didn't say kill Yitzchak. He says, put him on the altar. And of course, Abraham understood that. Sacrifice Yitzchak. Okay. Um, that ambiguity was intended. That was, that was the nature of the test. Do you know that it took Avraham three days to find the spot that Hashem wanted him to go to? And during those three days, it says the Sutton came to Avraham and created this giant river that he had to cross. And can you imagine, like, he has a son at the age of 100. By the way, that's one of the beautiful, amazing things the Balaturim brings us, that in the name Yitzchak, and I'm going to spell it out for you in a moment, that each letter of the name Yitzchak tells the biography of Yitzchak, the spiritual biography of Yitzchak. You ready for this? So Yitzchak, it begins with the letter Yud, because Yud is 10, because the Akedis Yitzchak, the binding of Yitzchak was Avram's 10th test. Okay, that's the Yud. Then the next letter is Tzadi. Tzadi is the number 90. Sarah was 90 years old when she gave birth to Yitzchak. Then you have the letter Ches. That's the number eight. Because Yitzchak was the first person in history who was circumcised on the eighth day. And then you have the letter Kuf, which is 100. Avraham was 100 years old when Yitzchak was born. Isn't that amazing? 
that in the spelling of Yitzchak, you have the whole spiritual biography of Yitzchak. Anyway, so Avraham is walking around for three days before he finds a spot where to sacrifice, where to sacrifice, where to put him on the altar, right? So imagine how a person can cool down and second-guess themselves over a three-day period when they're told to do something so awesome. So it just gives you an even greater appreciation of what Avraham Avinu accomplished in terms of putting absolutely everything aside, all thoughts aside, but just knowing that Hashem is good, and if Hashem is asking this, then 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 it's only going to result in good, right? Even though he can't logically wrap his mind around it. Because Hashem says to Avraham, your descendants are going to come through Yitzchak. So if that's the case, and then there's no more Yitzchak, how are the descendants going to come through Yitzchak? So nothing made sense about what Hashem was asking. But this was the nature of the test. Now, now, with all of that in mind, with all of that in mind, I want to tell you the following, which I just, this blows my mind. You ready? Almost everyone, the, 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 the consensus of all the great rabbis is that the 10th test of Abraham, because he was tested 10 times, was the Akedah, was, was the binding of Yitzhak. Okay, everybody knows this, right? Believe it or not, there is an opinion by Rabbeinu Yonah. Now, Rabbeinu Yonah is one of the all-time greatest rabbis, okay? He was a Rishon. He lived about a thousand years ago and is absolutely authoritative, okay? Rabbeinu Yonah says the Akeda was the ninth test. <laughs> so, wait a second. You're telling me that there was, a, there was a test even higher than the Akeda? What was that? And it's the answer is absolutely bewildering, until you hear his explanation. Okay? So what was the 10th test according to Rabbeinu Yonah? It was buying Morris Hamach Pela, which is the, which is the, um, what we call the cave of the patriarchs in Hebron, from Ephron. So um, Ephron was like a really like, like to use modern slang, sus. He was like a really... <laughs> He was really this this suspect guy, okay? He he starts off the conversation with Abraham by saying, Oh, you you are a prince among us. You know, just name whatever property that you want and it's yours. You know, we're so honored to just give it to you as a present. And then ends up charging him the modern equivalent of hundreds of millions of dollars, believe it or not, um, for for this piece of real estate. So, so the rabbis point to Ephron as the model of someone who's a big talker. In, in Pirkei Avos, it says one of the things that we should live by is say little, do much. Say little, do much, right? So that's, that's, that's the proper way to go through life. And, and uh, they point to Ephron as, as the exemplar of say a lot and do nothing, and they base it on the fact that he made all these promises to Abraham and then ended up charging him this absolutely exorbitant amount of money. Um, by the way, interestingly, that, uh, that, so, so Rabbeinu Yonah says that was the 10th test. And, and, and we have to try to wrap our minds around that. Because how, how could that be doing a business negotiation, a real estate deal, with like a very shifty character, how could that have been a greater spiritual test than, um, than offering his only son, who was like this miracle child, right? You know, keep in mind the implications of the miraculousness of, of, Avra, of, of Yitzchak's birth. It's, by the way, it, they say, I learned from Rabbi Green that it's not just that, that Sarah was old. She didn't have a womb, okay? It's, 
the, the levels of, of miraculousness are absolutely beyond, okay? Now, Abraham, of course, is 99 years old. So what it means is the firstborn Jew, because Abraham and, and, and Sarah converted, so to speak, right? Because they, they weren't born Jewish and they became Jewish. Um, but, but Yitzchak is the first person who's born Jewish. And he's born miraculously, which means that the foundation in terms of the existence of the Jewish people is miraculous by nature, because the foundation is Yitzchak. And it's sort of like, how is he even here? How is this person even in this world? And, and the, the Jewish people, how are we even here? Like, it doesn't make any sense that we're here. Um, and so it just gives you an extra appreciation. I'll tell you kind of a variation on this. This is from the Belzer Rebbe, but I think it's the, 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 the son of the Belzer Rebbe that I showed you the picture of. Um, he said, you know, before World War II, I used to wonder, is the existence, I knew that the existence of, the Jewish people was miraculous. This is the Rebbe speaking. But the existence of every single Jew in the world, was that a separate miracle? He said he wondered this. He said after World War II, the existence of every single Jew alive is a completely separate independent miracle. He said he is. No question in his mind that that's the case. But you see, it all goes down to the, the birth of Yitzchak himself. Okay, so again, back to our question. How can it be, according to Rabbeinu Yonah, that this difficult real estate negotiation was an even higher test than what Avraham thought, sacrificing Yitzchak? And here's the answer. Are you ready? And, and I, I love this answer. Because contained within this answer is a total overview of Judaism and the goal of what the, the Torah path is, okay? So when Abraham accomplished this, you know, amazing, amazing thing, he, so to speak, left the world, right? Like, like nothing existed anymore, right? He just kind of left all the confines, all the barriers of the world. Now, if that were the 10th test, maybe you would think that that's the goal of Judaism, that all of us should just leave the world, essentially, right? Like that the world, the physical universe shouldn't exist for us, right? So what Rabbeinu Yonah is saying, and I heard this from Rabbi Friend, what Rabbeinu Yonah is saying is that the goal is not to leave the world. The goal is to transcend the world, right? That's the ninth test. The goal is to transcend the world and then to take all of that light from above, all of that holy energy, all of that inspiration, and to bring it back down into the world in the most challenging human person-to-person -person life circumstances, like a difficult real estate negotiation with someone who wants to cheat you, for instance. So that is the ultimate goal, to take that light from above and to bring it back down into the world. And that is the overview of Judaism. That's the goal of Judaism. That's what Avraham Avinu accomplished with his life. That's an amazing, amazing, amazing teaching. And it should give you so much respect and, and, and love for what the Jewish path is, you know? Because if you think about it, and I'm not trying to knock other faiths or religions or anything like that, but just as a point of contrast, right? If you think about the, the, the holiest person, say, in Catholicism, that would be, say, the priest or, or the head of all the priests, the Pope, right, who, who doesn't get married, doesn't have children. So, so there's, a, there's a certain removal from, 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 from the world, 
and the ways of the world, which are um, which which are considered the the height of that path, right? Or if you think of uh, in Eastern religions, right, sort of like you think of the 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 guru um, meditating and sometimes in a remote area on the the top of a mountain or something like that, right? Again, that that the height of holiness is is removing yourself from society. And 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 now think about the, the, the Jewish pathway. I mean, we have this thick book called Choshen Mishpat, which is like all these detailed laws of business, right? And 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 the world doesn't quite understand this idea. It's very important to to get this idea out to the to the whole world. So they they understand what the, the Jewish path is because because the nations of the world over the millennia have sort of scratched their heads and said, you, you Jews are holy? What are you, what are you involved in trades for and business for? What, what's holy about that, right? Seems like you just want to do business. Like, what's going on? And, and, and it, the, the opposite is true. The, the, the idea is to take that light from beyond and to bring it down into every aspect of life and into this world. During um, sorry, during my 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 uh, kind of personal spiritual journey toward keeping Shabbos and things like that, I remember uh, learning uh, that there was a, a a Torah way to put your socks and shoes on, and and I remember I wasn't doing much, you know, in terms of mitzvahs at this point in my life. I wasn't keeping kosher. I wasn't keeping Shabbos, but I was putting my socks and shoes on in a Torah way. Okay. <laughs> And, and I remember being consoled by that, thinking, well, at least I'm doing that. And so if there's one person who doesn't know how to do it, let me just tell you, it's you put your right sock on and then your left sock and your right shoe and then your left shoe. Then you tie your left shoe, then you tie your right shoe. And um, there are many explanations, but the one that I heard that I love so much was that if you just put your right sock on and your, your right shoe on, you're... Your left foot is going to feel bad, right? It's going to have nothing. So that that level of sensitivity, right? Even to inanimate objects. Um, but the idea is that, see, a lot of people wonder, how come there's so much halacha? How come there's so much Jewish law? And 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 they, they come to this sort of the, the tragic conclusion that the rabbis are control freaks. It must be that they want to control every aspect of my 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 waking life from from birth to to the end, and that is a fundamental misunderstanding of what Torah is and what this world is and what our life is. The ideas is the opposite. The idea is that wherever we go, whatever we do, no matter how mundane it is, whether it's putting your socks and shoes on, whatever we do in this world has the, has the potential, has the capacity to be a holy act, even if it's the most mundane thing in the world. And that we can elevate sparks in every interaction. And that ultimately, you ready for this, just to sum everything up? There's no such thing as a secular moment. There's no such thing as a secular moment because I'm standing before God wherever I go, whatever I do. And that's good news because no one loves me more than God. Not only that, but that the entire world and all of life is an interaction with God. And now let's get back to the beginning of the Parsha again, okay? Hashem is visiting Avraham, he's, he, we learn here, Bikr Cholim, we, we learn visiting the sick from, from, from God himself, right? Um, and, and uh, you know, that it, we, we say that, that, that we're supposed to imitate God's ways, right? So he visits, he visits the sick, we should visit the sick too. And, and, and Hashem appears before Avraham. And then if you read on just a, a couple of, you know, sentences later, it says that Avraham sees three guests. He doesn't know that they're holy angels. 
And by the way, they appear to him as idol-worshipping Arabs, okay? That's, that's an important detail because it's not like um, he saw three, you know, Instagram celebrities, right? And he's like <laughs> running after them to get a, to get a picture, right? He, he saw like three people who, spiritually speaking, in his eyes anyway, were, were not on the highest level at all. The opposite, right? And, and, and all the rabbis are wondering, how could it be that, that Avram is interrupting God? God is visiting him. He's making this appearance. And all of a sudden, Avram is going, wait a second, God. And he's running after these guests. So I heard many years ago from Rabbi Grumman, um, and it's, uh, this, this, this teaching changed my life. Um, so he said, God forbid that you should think that Avraham was interrupting God or telling God to wait. God forbid. It's a total, total misunderstanding of what's going on. Avraham was continuing the conversation with God through doing the mitzvah of hospitality. That's what it is. And that gets back to what we were saying before. That all of life, whether it's putting your socks and shoes on, whatever it is, whoever you're talking to, all of life is an ongoing conversation with God. Whatever you do, whatever you're interacting with, you're interacting with a person, you're interacting with something inanimate, whatever it is, all of the situations that God puts in our life are opportunities for us to interact with him. Now, I'll tell you one of my favorite thoughts. We haven't discussed it in a while, okay? The Baal Shem Tov says, um, it, it says in, the, in, in Tehillim, and, and this is uh, on a lot of um, uh, holy arks, like the Aron Kodesh, where you keep the Torah, a lot of times you'll see a, some, some words inscribed over it. And, and one of them is, is this idea of Shaviti Hashem Tamid, that I put God before me um, at all times. So in other words, it says in a different place in the Psalms that know God in all of your ways. So, so again, it's all of these things are this ongoing conversation that we're having with God no matter what we do. Ideally, this should be our, our, our intention. So, so what does the Baal Shem Tov say? He says that the word Sheviti actually has the Hebrew root of it, Shav. Shav means equal. So he wants to reread the verse now. Not that I put Hashem before me, um, you know, at all times, but that Hashem's presence is equal before me no matter what it is that I'm doing. Hashem's presence is equal. Shaviti comes from Shav. God's presence is equal before me no matter what activity I'm involved in. So can you imagine living a life where Riding a bicycle is the same as being at Ni'ila and Yom Kippur, right? Or standing online at Ralph's is like like you're underwater at the mikveh. <laughs> what a life. What a life. That it's so clear to you, no matter what you're doing, that you're standing before God. And that's the highest and the holiest thing, the one who loves you the most, right? That's awesome. So, so with that in mind, I want to build on that imagery, okay? And I, I, it came to me at one time that all of life is really like kaleidoscopes and gyroscopes, okay? Okay, I'm going to tell you how everything's like kaleidoscopic and I don't know if gyroscopic is a word, but let's just go with it, okay? So how is it like a kaleidoscope? How is life How is life like a kaleidoscope? Well, I think everyone's looked into one before, but um, just in case someone hasn't, it, it looks kind of like a telescope. So you, you kind of look through the small end, and then with your hand, you, you turn the far end. And as you turn the far end, 
there's this like unfolding pattern and 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 design that kind of like transforms before you. So you're you're looking into the the spyglass, and as you're turning it, all these different designs are 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 coming up, right? So, so I think that's that's life. You know, you're staying stationary, but everything is turning around you. And that's this idea of Shaviti Hashem, right? That, that now I'm at Ralph's. Now I'm at the supermarket. Now I'm in my car. Now I'm at the office. Now I'm at home, right? Now I'm walking down the street. But really nothing has changed. You know why? Because just God is still around me and God is, is just changing the scenery around me. God wants to know, how are you going to react in this situation? How are you going to respond with this challenge? What are you going to do if I put you in this place? Right? So the scenery changes around us, but we remain stationary. And God is just putting us in different situations, just asking us, how are you going to respond? What are you going to do? What's your soul fixing here? Rabbi Shlomo said in the name of the Ishbitzer, the deepest question a person can ask themselves is what does God want from me this moment? The deepest question a person can ask themselves is what does God want from me this moment? Because all of our lives, all our lives are, are a series of shifting kaleidoscopic situations that God is orchestrating and creating for us, just wondering, what are you going to do in this moment? How are you going to respond to this challenge? So that's, that's, that's the kaleidoscope part. So what's, what's the gyroscope part? So, so the kaleidoscope part, so to speak, that's God turning the scenery, okay? The gyroscope part is us. That, that part goes on us. So again, if there's anyone here who doesn't know what a gyroscope is, it's just like really kind of, I don't know even how to describe it, this kind of very whimsical construct, right? It's like a spinning top. But um, imagine, imagine you um, spin a, a regular top, not a kaleidoscope, but a regular top on, say, a book. And you pick up the book and you... you kind of hold the book at a extreme angle. Well, what's going to happen is the side of the top is going to hit the book and it's just going to slide off the book and hit the ground. That's what a normal top will do. But a gyroscope has this amazing ability to adjust to whatever situation is going on around it. So that if you were to spin a gyroscope on a book, and you were to put the book at an extreme angle, the gyroscope would adjust so that it can continue to spin even at that extreme angle. So the gyroscope adjusts to whatever new situation it's put in. Okay? So let's go deeper on that idea. If you look in the Torah, there are different paradigms um, for... for, uh, how God relates to us. So, so the probably maybe the the one we're most familiar with is Avinu Malkeinu. So, what, what's that? Well, Avinu means our Father. So, so sometimes God is you know in that sort of parent-child relationship with us, and and then sometimes it's Malkeinu. Malkeinu means our King. So our king, that's a little bit more exalted, right? Like a little bit more removed, more majestic, like, wow, you know, like you don't get in to see the king all the time, right? So it's Avinu Malkeinu, like sometimes it's Avinu, sometimes it's Malkeinu. So if you actually look through the Torah, you'll see that the, these paradigms, are much richer and much more far-reaching than just king and parent. 
you, you also have best friend, right? These are all from the Torah that I'm going to tell you right now. You have best friend. God's your best friend. You ready for this? God's your twin. That's awesome. What does that mean? God's my twin. You know, I'll tell you a story. One of the most amazing things I ever heard in my life. Um, we used to do this thing. We did it for many years. It was great. It was so it was so good. We called it the Torah Slam. Okay, and and what it was is um, we on Shavuos night when we stay up learning all night long, right? We went through the Ten Commandments, and we there was a crowd of people there, and each person, everyone, it didn't didn't matter who, was invited to come up um, to like the the front of the crowd. And to say a one-minute idea on that commandment, right? And I think we spent four hours and we just got to the fourth commandment. We didn't even get past the fourth commandment. It went for hours and hours and hours. People just walking up and we were timing it. You got one minute, otherwise you were kicked off, right? And one of the, one of the amazing things that we, we saw is how much content you can actually communicate in a minute. An, an astonishing amount of content can be conveyed in 60 seconds, believe it or not. Anyway, um, this is one of the things that, that was said at the Torah Slam one of the years, okay? Which was this woman said, I, I have an identical twin. And she said, my, my twin, um, my twin keeps, my, my, my twin keeps Shabbos, right? Or actually, this was the woman who was keeping Shabbos, okay? She says, I keep Shabbos, but, but my twin sister, um, she likes it. She likes it. She's definitely respectful of it and everything like that, but, but she doesn't keep Shabbos, right? And she said, she said that her twin sister told her the other day, um, she said, I want you to know I guess they, they both live in the same neighborhood. And um, she said, when I go to Starbucks on Shabbos, right? Which, you know, I guess if you're keeping Shabbos, you're probably not doing, right? When I go to Shabbos, when I go to Starbucks on Shabbos, I want you to know I enter through the alley because I don't want people to think that I'm you. Because they know you keep Shabbos. And they're going to think it's you walking into Starbucks on Shabbos. So even though I don't keep Shabbos, <laughs> I walk through the alley into Starbucks so that they shouldn't think this of you. Now, this was the quote unquote non-religious sister. And it blew my mind. I thought, she's so holy. This is the non-religious sister. She's so holy. So let me tell you why I'm telling you this now. Because after she finished, I ran up and I, I spoke the next minute, and this is what I said. I said, you know, in the Torah, one of the relationships, one of the paradigms of us and God is twins. So what does it mean to be like that us and God are twins? So you see this very, this very sort of surprising relationship, which is that people... If, if a religious person, quote-unquote religious, right, whatever that means, right, but if a quote-unquote religious person does something that's um, ethically offensive, right, he's found to be cheating in business, and they, you know, they publish this in the papers or whatever it is, or he, he's just behaving badly in, in public, whatever it is, this creates what's called a chilo Hashem, which is considered like the, 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 the worst offense there is. Because people look at that religious person and they say, this is who God is? This is what God is all about? Now, do, do you see, did, did you hear that enormous leap that just took place? Who am I? I'm nothing. Who is God? God made the entire universe and beyond. And people judge God by what I do? I'm like, lucky if I'm dust and ashes. And, and, and people from my activities 
make their determination of who they feel God is? That's amazing. And that's why, but people do that. People do that all of the time. And that's why the Torah says that we're twins, because they confuse my behavior with who God is. Now, you should know, there's a foundation. Here's the good part. Here's the happy part. There's a foundation in the, in the Gomorrah that says that if something is true in the negative, it's, you ready for this? 500 times more true in the positive. Okay, and I won't go through how they learn it out, how they learn out the math, but just take my word for it. So, so if we can give God through our, through our personal actions a bad reputation, a black eye, so to speak, right? Then imagine when we do something good. Imagine when we do something like, like a tremendous kindness to someone. And then people go, that's who God is, right? That's what this world is. That's what I'm capable of doing. 500 times greater. And there you see the aspect of being twins. Like, it's like off the charts, right? But, but how we use that paradigm, how we use that dynamic is like, you know, the bulls in our court. Okay, but, but if you remember, we're still talking about gyroscopes, right? So how are we like gyroscopes? God is kaleidoscopically kind of changing our circumstances around us. And we're like gyroscopes adjusting in each situation to the new paradigm, whatever paradigm God is appearing in, we have to adjust and be the perfect partner for the revelation of the relationship that's appearing at that moment. So if God is the, the parent at that point, if he's Avinu at that point, we, we have to be the ideal child. If he's Malkenu at that point, we have to have, you know, tremendous yira, tremendous awe, and be the perfect subject, right? Now, I'll give you a couple of other paradigms besides best friend, besides twin. Believe it or not, at one point, God is even referred to, you ready for this, as our big sister, as our older sister. Isn't that amazing? And as our mother in another place, right? It's not all just male paradigms, just in case you're wondering. And then says Rabbi Akiva in Shir Shirim, the Song of Songs is the deepest revelation of all. God as our lover, right? In terms of the, the intimacy of our connection with the divine. That that's another manifestation of God in our lives. In that incredibly close way, right? So, so this is how we're like gyroscopes. It's, it's that we have to be sensitive as we go through life, throughout the different situations that God constructs for us, right? Like, again, now I'm in the office. Now I'm in the house. Now I'm kidding, putting my child to sleep, right? Now I'm, you know, arguing on the phone with the electric company. Whatever it is, whatever situation we find ourselves in, if all of life is an ongoing conversation with God, right, we have to be sensitive to what relationship am I in with God at that moment, and then to adjust and to be the perfect gyroscope, if you will, right, the perfect partner to respond to that, that new scenery, that new situation, that new kaleidoscopic you know, presence. And, and, and in that way, we go through life. In that way, we go through life. Um, I, I told you that, that Lech Lecha begins with God telling Abraham, go to the place that I will show you. And he doesn't tell, he doesn't tell him where it is, right? So, so on some level, based on what we've been saying, that means that Wherever we go, that's where we are. In other words, wh where, where are we going? Because 
This idea, go to the place that I will show you, is also true in our lives. We, we don't know where we're heading. But in another way, that means that whatever situation that we're in, that's the destination. So I'll just finish with one, with one thought that I heard um, in the name of the Kutzka Rebbe. So he says, you know, we have two lechlechas, right? The lechlecha that we just mentioned, go to Israel, right? And the, and, the, and, and the lechlecha that appears in the Torah again by the 10th test, by the Akedah. Which one was harder? So the Katzka Rebbe says the first lechlecha is harder. So again, you know, you say, well, wait a second. Harder than putting Yitzchak on the altar? And, and the Kutzka Rebbe says yes, because that first Lech Lecha, Hashem is telling Avraham, and by the way, you should know that, um, that Reb Leibla Eger says that that, that that Lech Lecha was commanded to every Jew for all time to never stop moving, right? So, so it, this, this command is going on all of us. Hashem says to Avraham, leave your your birthplace, right? Leave your father's house, leave your, leave your homeland. And what, what the Kutzka Rebbe said that means is all these natural inclinations that all of us are born with, that, that we have to be on the, the level to, to constantly be rising above our ingrained nature, and striving for something higher. And that the 10th test, the Akedah, was a one-time event. But this Lech Lecha is an ongoing event throughout our lives. And that's why that test is even harder. And so, so, so all of our lives, all of our lives are this ongoing journey through the different situations that we're put into and the different relationships that 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 we have to be sensitized to what is being asked of me this moment and 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 who am i to be who am i to be in this relationship how can i be the perfect partner given the circumstance that are circumstances that are being shown me right now and in this way i journey through life throughout life. Okay. Here's something new and exciting. Spiritual tools for an outrageous world is now going to be on social media. So please follow me on Facebook at David Sachs Spiritual Tools or on Instagram, David Sachs Spiritual Tools. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.